is you. Taking your calls at 270-1270. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. How about some Sabres talk? Sabres are 21-11-5 heading into tomorrow night's game against the St. Louis Blues. That's on the road. The Blues, a disappointing 14-16-4. And uh, this is a game that, uh, at least based on the way the Blues have been playing, the Sabres should win, although the Sabres always seem to manage to make the games close. And uh, I want to bring in our good friend, friend of the show, friend of mine personally, a guy I'm going to be hanging with tomorrow night, John Vogel, Sabres reporter for The Athletic, joining the show. John, how was your Christmas? It was great, Tim. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm doing all right. Just yeah. drove in from uh, from Ohio. Oh, went, okay. Went and hung out with Mom for a day. It's usually a three- or four-dayer, but uh, had to come back for the radio, so thanks for helping us out here. Oh, my um, pleasure. I didn't my put pleasure. a lot of planning into this show, being that it's the day <laughs> after Christmas. Uh-huh. We were talking during the first segment about player tributes, or at least acknowledgments, and the Sabres had three yeah, three calls to make, I guess. Guys like Ryan O'Reilly, Evander Kane, Robin Leonard, what do you do with these guys? And I think now in, in, when it comes to hockey, it's expected you almost have to give a tip of the cap, uh, welcome back, uh, tick, uh, stick taps, whatever, uh, or else people notice. What was the one... Just a couple of years ago that people got thought was a bit controversial. Now, Jason Pominville didn't get a salute when he first returned to um, to uh, First Niagara, I guess it was, at the time. And uh, yeah, Darcy Revere that, was still the general manager. That was a big one. I do remember that. I mean, here was a guy who was a captain of the team, for goodness sake, scored some of the biggest goals in franchise history in the playoffs. And, yeah, hey, didn't, didn't even acknowledge him. But Is this just a hockey yeah. thing? I mean, they don't. I'm guessing they do it in. Uh, I'm sure in baseball they probably do it. It's slow sport. Yeah, guys a get a tip of the fill, cap. But... Yeah, yeah. Um, I was surprised the other night. Anaheim was in, and they did a uh, at the very first uh, stoppage of play. They gave a tip of the cap and show on the scoreboard to goalie Chad Johnson. Um, I mean, if they were doing it for Chad Johnson, you can bet they're going to do it for Orion O'Reilly or uh, someone else who comes into town because Chad only played here. Uh, parts of two se- well two seasons two and they weren't even consecutive seasons so it was interesting that uh, uh, they said hello to him it caught me a little off guard to be honest because uh, uh, most people probably wouldn't even know he was in there since he didn't start the season in Anaheim and they had just picked him up on waivers a week ago so I wonder if Ty Conklin it- ever got a salute <laughs> <laughs> Bob Bob Asenza maybe Tom Askey. Tom Askey was in camp with the Sabres. I don't think he ever played for the Sabres, though. I think he was in Rochester a little bit. I definitely was in Rochester, yeah. I remember writing about him mainly just because a uh, Ken Moore guy, local guy. So. Right. Yes. So, John, the Sabres, well, before we get to the Sabres, I, I think this is interesting because, especially if you don't follow along with the rest of the National Hockey League, and if you're a casual fan or just a Sabres fan who watches the Sabres play on a nightly basis, I'm guessing there are a lot of Sabres fans that are going to be getting their first look at Ryan O'Reilly tomorrow night. Uh, your thoughts on his season so far and, and what you see in as we reflect back on that move 
which a lot of people think had to be made, and it's certainly turning out or looking good for the Sabres. But w- what are your thoughts when you take a look at Ryan O'Reilly? Um, it's quite the coincidence as you bring that up because there's a story today on The Athletic um, about the trade where I look at all the... Uh, oh, who wrote all, it? Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, John Vogel did. Yeah. I like his work. <laughs> well, I thank you, yes. Um, right, the St. Louis Blues wanted to make that trade. They desperately needed someone who could add scoring to their team, and he has done that. I mean, he's a, he's a point-per-game guy. He's uh, going for their triple crown. He leads St. Louis with 13 goals, 19 assists, and 32 points. Um, he's what you expect um, from from him when the puck drops till the buzzer blows. He's going to give you some points. He's going to win face-offs. He's going to uh, help key the power play. Um, there were times early in the season the Sabres desperately missed uh, his power play, um, his power play acumen. Uh, but they've uh, recently changed a few things uh, with Rasmus Dahlin on the first power play to kind of overcome where Riley used to be uh, during the setup. So that's helped them. But uh, but yeah, Ryan O'Reilly is uh, just uh, going out there. They in St. Louis, just like when he first got to Buffalo, we talked extensively about his pregame uh, routines and his post-practice workouts, and he's got the same thing going in St. Louis. People are uh, happy that he's the last guy off after practice and doing those special drills that he does, but uh, once again, and there's a lot of problems in St. Louis that were going on before he got there, but once again, he's on a team that's not going to make the playoffs at the moment. I mean, he's played 10 seasons. This looks like this will be the eighth year he doesn't make the playoffs of those 10. Now, obviously, it takes a lot more than one person to miss the playoffs, but it just seems that losing follows this guy around, it seems. Ryan O'Reilly, it should uh, be mentioned that when he was with the Sabres, uh, I believe it was two seasons ago, was the... Uh, team's nominee for the Masterton Award, which is for sportsmanship and commitment to hockey. And it's considered uh, a pretty prestigious honor just to be nominated. All 32 uh, teams now. I have to stop and think. It's 30, what, 31? Las Vegas is Seattle's 31. The 32nd, right? Right. Yeah. right. See, Mike yeah, Rodak yeah. chipping in with some knowledge on That's hockey. How I make my money. And uh, <laughs> so 30 teams at the time when, uh, when Ryan O'Reilly was nominated. But it's a big, it's a prestigious honor. Um, yeah. almost like the Walter Payton Man of the Year nomination with the National Football League. Um, but Ryan O'Reilly, at the end of the season, with his comments, is, un- I guess, unfortunate, really have tainted his, the memory of his time in Buffalo. Of course, he arrived with the uh, drunk driving incident up in Canada and then ends it with uh, talking about how he didn't look forward to coming to the rink on a daily basis and was going through the motions. So... What um, do you believe that this was a trade that had to be made, or what would the difference be if Ryan O'Reilly were on this roster now, uh, and the Sabers uh, had a team with him still on it? I think it would be a big difference. Um, yes, they had to move him. Uh, yeah, just uh, talent. I think I think eventually fans are forgiving a forgiving group if people are winning and producing. But uh, those comments that. Uh, he, here he was, the highest-paid player on the team, and he was just going out trying to not to make a mistake and didn't care if they won or lost. Uh, that didn't sit well. Um, but I think they had to move him because this was, uh, if he was here, this wasn't going to become Jack Eichel's team. I mean, they they were sharing, uh, they were the alternate captains, and they would share the spotlight a little bit in both the locker room and on the ice, and uh, they are completely different personalities. Jack's just, uh, he has a 
it's been described by Sam Reinhardt. He's a Boston kid. In Boston, all they do is win. Um, it just seeps into their yeah, blood watching doctor. all these parades. <laughs> so, yeah, he's got that Boston swagger. Um, and that was kind of... That's what we say about Rodak here. Oh, yeah. All he does Rodak. is win. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, Jack Swagger was kind of being pushed aside a little bit by Ryan's uh, mopiness, is the word I would say, because after every game, oh, it starts with me, i got to be better, or you make the same mistakes, i got to be better. And it was just uh, that mopiness had to go, and they had to let Jack's exuberance come out a little more, which is what they've done. I mean... Uh, so, yeah, in my opinion, Ryan had to leave, and uh, it's now Jack's team, and we're seeing the results. We're in conversation with the Athletics' John Vogel. He covers the Sabres. And uh, is there anything left to be said about the Patrick Berglund situation, John? Uh, he was waived a week ago today. His contract terminated the next day after nobody uh, wanted to pick him up. Um, he was obviously a part of that uh, Ryan O'Reilly trade, and we'll always factor in when we look back three, four years from now, who knows, maybe Ryan O'Reilly uh, ends up uh, taking his team, whoever he's with, uh, two or three seasons from now and putting them on his shoulders and taking them to the Stanley Cup, whereas we look back and see, well, hey, Patrick Berglund and uh, that, you know the failure of, of that trade, uh, it looked like he could be a piece that uh, could help the team moving forward, but What's left to be said about this uh, this bizarre situation? Um, one of these days, hopefully he or his agent will uh, talk, but we have gotten word, um, like Joe Yerden, our co-worker, uh, went to Washington for the Sabres' uh, penultimate pre-Christmas game, and he talked to T.J. Oshie, who was Berglund's roommate in St. Louis, and they're still really good friends to this day who talk. And uh, T.J. Oshie kind of hinted that maybe it wasn't just uh, – the guy didn't like Buffalo. He kind of made it sound like there was some personal things going on, maybe. Uh, he said, I don't want to get into details because it's his personal life, but he's a really great person, so I respect him for kind of taking control here and getting done what he needs to get done. So I don't know exactly what that means. Um, Patrick and his agent, who I continue to try and get chats with, uh, but they are not willing yet. Um, so there will be uh, his uh, his complete side of the story we haven't heard yet. Um, but from a Sabres standpoint, I mean, when you look at the production that he had, which was zilch, and the years left on his contract, which was three more after this year, at the money, uh, $3.85 million, this really couldn't have worked out better for the Sabres, the fact that uh, he walked away from the team, because now they have a huge cap space. They don't have a guy who will be making almost $4 million when he's 34 years old. Um, so while it, uh, hopefully... Patrick Bregman's personal life gets uh, better if it is indeed what uh, needs to improve. Uh, from a team and organizational standpoint, this really seemed to work out for the Sabres. The Buffalo Bills season is about to come to an end. As our old boss Howard Smith uh, used to say, mm -hmm. uh, the Sabres season now uh, is officially beginning uh, once the Bills play their last game. At least that was the attitude at the Buffalo News then. Um, and I think that fans kind of approach it that way, too. They can put their full attention towards the Sabres. We're almost at the halfway mark. Tomorrow night will be the 38th game. So four games, no, three games away from the halfway point of the season after tomorrow night's game in St. Louis. I'm not going to go down the entire list of awards uh, that you could give out to a team, but it, you can, all right, one, one vote only. Who is the most valuable skater on the Sabres this season so far? Jack Eichel, Jeff Skinner, or Rasmus uh, uh, Dahlin? I almost said Rasmus um, Ristolainen, which would have totally <laughs> torpedoed the question. Um, I'm going to go with Jack. 
I mean, obviously Jeff Skinner, uh, second in the league in goals to only Alex Ovechkin. That's uh, it's quite the feat, especially something in Buffalo where it's been a long time since they had that sniper in town. Um, so it's definitely, uh, it's definitely an added bonus for them. But, I mean, Jack's doing it all. Um, tied for seventh in the league in points with 48. Um, since, he, uh, since him, Sam Reinhart, and Skinner got together in a line, it's been 20 games. Uh, Jack has 10 goals, 19 assists, and 29 points. I mean, he's the one who's really making that line work. Um, his defense is getting a lot more, uh, a lot more praise lately. His back checking has been impressive. He really, uh, there were times he would admit, I think he coasted it back to, towards his own zone, but that those days are over. Uh, he's doing a lot of things right. So def- if I have one vote, I definitely go with, uh, go with Jack. Who on this team needs to pick it up? There is a there's a there's quite a few. Like if you could um, pick one guy to, uh, almost like if you're making a trade and you could get somebody to play at what you would expect him or what he's supposed to be doing, uh, that would help this team for the second half of the season. Who would you who would you go with? From a point wise, points wise, you got to go with uh, Kyle Pozo. Um, he's doing some. He's doing a lot of the little things, uh, the work in the corners and whatnot. But there's no denying the the uh, lack of production. He has no goals in 19 games, and he has no points in the last 12. Um, that's just uh, <laughs> that's just numbers that won't work for a guy who's supposed to be your second or third line right winger, guy who's making $6 million a year. Um, but he's not alone. Uh, Sabat- Vladimir Sabatko, who lately has been the number two center, he has no goals, one assist in the last 21 games. Uh, Connor Sherry just ended a 16-game uh, goal drought. So, you go anywhere other than the Skinner Eichel Reinhardt line, you're going to find a guy who needs to uh, pick up the offensive pace for sure. All right, John Vogel, one last question before we go because uh, he is only 20 years old, but he I think he gets overlooked quite a bit in the in the regular conversation about the Sabres because everybody wants to talk about Jack Eichel and Jeff Skinner and and Rasmus Dahlin and and even Carter Hutton. Um, but what about Casey Middlestad? Where do you think his game is right now? And um, when he's on the uh, on the ice on a nightly basis, do you what do you generally come away with thinking about how he's contributing to the team? The one thing he's doing better than I thought he would is uh, in the defensive zone. Um, I know that's not a sexy chit chat kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Howard, speaking of Howard Smith, um, but he's not getting burned by these uh, by these centers that he's matched up against. Uh, he's covering guy he's not giving up goals he's not a minus 80 as some rookies might be um that said he's also not contributing a lot there's a lot of uh center ice play i guess you can say neither his line is producing and they're also not giving up anything so if he can turn that stalemate into a little more offense that would be better um but he's not doing too bad for like you said he's still he's just a young kid who's uh trying to get in and if if Sabatka would be a little uh, more productive, then maybe they can get Middlestat to get some of the weaker matchups, uh, weaker defensive matchups. But just at the moment, there's no one else producing other than that top line. So the other teams put their second best defenders on Middlestat, and uh, he's having trouble uh, getting past them. But we shall see here in the second half as we get going. Go to the Athletic, read John Vogel's work on the Buffalo Sabres uh, in particular, so that way you're ready to go for tomorrow night's game between the Sabres and the Blues. Uh, check out his story that uh, has the headline, Sabres wanted to win, and that's what they got, evaluating how each piece of the Buffalo-St. Louis trade has fared uh, to get a complete rundown and analysis of that trade. Joe Yurden will be in St. Louis tomorrow night. 
uh, covering uh, the team, so keep an eye out for that. And that frees John Vogel to have beers with Tim Graham tomorrow night. We are going to watch this Sabres-Blues game together, and uh, it's been a while since we've actually watched the Sabres game together. In fact, it would have to be when we were both uh, with the credentials around our neck working for the Buffalo News. In fact, how about this? I can remember the day it was. It was the season opener in 2007, although it was supposed to be my last day at the Buffalo News. I was going to close it out in style by covering a game. John had When John and I both worked, I always wrote the game. John wrote the notebook. And I showed up that night, and I thought I'm going to do this symbolic passing of the torch, and I gave John my seat. And uh, and I said, John, you're writing the gamer tonight, and I'm going to write your notebook for you. I was going to be your caddy, and uh, he. Uh, and then uh, my computer, uh, the uh, charger didn't work anymore, so I <laughs> sprinted back to the Buffalo News, and I'm digging through the old computers to look for one that would work, and uh, I couldn't find one, like the in-house computers. And so second period or whatever, I came back and I I uh, called the office back and said, uh, I'm not going to write tonight. <laughs> no, no, I've written my last story for the Buffalo News. Back in that the time, is a of course, memorable. I came yeah. back, of course. Yeah, but uh, that's the last time we, using finger quotes, covered a game together. And prior to that, it would have to be uh, the conference yeah. finals in 07. In Carolina, right? That Ottawa. Oh, Ottawa. That's okay. Ottawa. Yes, yes. yes. Well, why don't we ever see Tim Graham hang out in the press box these days? I'll be there. I'm going to be there now that this the Bills season's wrapping up. I'm going to be around more often. I have some stories lined up ready to go. Kyle Ocposo's story is not going to be the last hockey story I've written this season. Thank goodness. All right. John, I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. Merry Christmas. And, and to uh, all of you as well. All right. You as well. John Vogel, yeah. Sabres reporter for The Athletic. We come back. We're going to have more talk about the Sabres. We're going to get into what's up with LaShawn McCoy and the Buffalo Bills. What's his future going to be with the team? Why didn't he start on Sunday? Mike Rodak uh, and I are going to talk about that with Lindsey D'Arcangelo, who's in studio here for the full two hours, Jonah Bronstein and Bobby Rosati on the Tim Graham Show. Brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsey, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsey.com. This is the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. Other than it's a silly, I'm doing the wanking motion right here. It's a silly, it's a waste. The Tim Graham Show. So you want to see Brandon Bean. chub out there like I know who he is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Two chubs in the draft. Act. You'll probably, probably have a chub going into the. <laughs> I always do. I wasn't going to say. The Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I think I'm about to do myself a favor. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I'm Tim Graham, your host from The Athletic, here with my big crooked co-host Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein here. Check out a little Periscope action of the Tim Graham Show or all previous Tim Graham shows on Periscope uh, on the Twitter feed. I need to retweet that. Uh, Also, uh, download the Tim Graham Show on iTunes or a SoundCloud for a podcast version of the show. You can catch that at any time. Uh, it gets uh, posted well, within about five or ten minutes of the show ending. You can catch that podcast. I tweet it out also if you don't want to go to the iTunes page. Bobby Rosati, he is our producer extraordinaire handling things for us. Big thanks to John Vogel for coming on. Um, LaShawn McCoy. 
Mike Rodak, you were out there today. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was. Uh, people tried to ask him questions. Uh, yeah, I wasn't... he has been. Yep. Uh, he has been a bit prickly, right, uh, <laughs> for the past week or so, and he was punished by head coach Sean McDermott, who went with uh, Keith Ford in the starting lineup Sunday against the New England Patriots, and it was only for a snap. But what that did was it gave Ford the start and not LaShawn McCoy. Uh, officially, McCoy is uh, in the record books as having come off the bench in that game. And uh, both parties are saying uh, message received, uh, message accepted, but nobody really knows what it's about. And uh, LaShawn McCoy has been a little upset with the media over it. Yeah, well, it really traces back to last Thursday, which we had – I mean, in general, LaShawn McCoy has been – He's gone from a guy who used to speak every Wednesday at the podium in a a pretty large group setting to, I'd say, halfway through this year or even sooner. Just he stopped doing that. Um, And obviously there's a pretty strong correlation there to his performance on the field slipping pretty considerably this season, even last season as well. But he got to the point where he's not talking too much on Wednesday. So we finally got him on Thursday of last week. And... At that point, we knew the Bills were in almost preseason mode where guys across the roster were, were getting playing time. You know, the offensive line, Wyatt Teller, Ike Bucker, and for for varying reasons. But we all figured that Keith Ford would get some some playing time uh, at, at running back in this game. And we essentially – it was a different reporter who asked him, um, you know, if he still believed that he was going to be the feature back in, in this game against the Patriots and, and LaShawn – pretty much scoffed at that and and said yo you know this dude uh you know what am i what am i gonna do come off the bench well you know it's exactly what happened on sunday and i don't think it takes a whole lot to connect the dots there as um you know cause and effect of again message sent and message received and if you're sean mcdermott and you're trying to establish a culture where you know players aren't entitled and um it's more about the team than it is the self, then that's that's probably not the message you want LaShawn McCoy to send in a you know media setting there. So the captain or captain too. So I think it was pretty obvious as soon as we saw him on the field or not on the field to start the game uh, that you know that was the case. Um, and then we asked LaShawn McCoy in the locker room about it after the the game and essentially said it was a situation with with Coach McDermott. He put me in my place. Um, I can imagine the conversation must have been something like, you know, I'm the coach and, and you're the player. I'm the one who decides who starts and, and you're not. And LaShawn McCoy was held accountable um, is, is the terms that he put it in and then Sean McDermott put it in again today. But after that scrum, a- after the game on Sunday night, he actually went and sought out the original reporter who asked him on Thursday and, and essentially said, you know, just, just wait until next year. You know, I'll, I'll still – I'll still be around and, um, you know, I'll, I'll be back rolling next year. And then you can essentially, you know, be back covering me pretty well next year. <laughs> I, I, I can't even euphemize that correctly. Why can't you just say what reporter it was? 
Was this a well, secret? I, no, it's not a secret. I I just think because I thought it was you. I, if no. anyone was going to ask Lashawn McCoy, are you still good enough to start in the NFL? It, was it would be you. Rodak. See, that's <laughs> that's did, the misconception is that I I think I buried the no, guy. and I think anybody would ask, could ask that question because right. it's also viewed as maybe it, it depends on who's asking and how you ask it, especially because, the way he reacted. Sure, right. You could ask that question and have it seem like it's a softball. You know, so that way right. he well, could say, "Well, of course," you know, and, that's and talk why about I, how great he is, or like. But yeah, it depends on how you ask. The that's question. why I'm asking. Not, not the, Josh Reed, a friend of ours, and a good reporter. But if Josh Reed asked that question, he's covered the Sean McCoy since high school. I think that adds context to how McCoy reacted to that and talking to him after right. the game. If you, if Fairburn, some people that maybe have had more. I don't want to say adversarial, but right. tougher relations, contentious relationships with McCoy asking that question and him being like, hey, get a load of this guy. I don't know. I found that interesting. Right. No, I, I guess I come from a old school journalism background where it's less about the reporter and more about the uh, the subject. So I, I've always taught not to use I in my writing and, and stuff like that. So, so it was you that asked the question. No, it wasn't me. <laughs> but I'm saying I, I, I come from a background where I – I make the media into a concept and not an individual person. For it's not Jim Acosta versus Donald Trump. It is the media versus Donald Trump, for instance. Because I think like in, in politics, it, it always becomes this guy versus that guy, where it should be the media and the press and the idea of asking a question, the public, through the media instead of an individual person. So but, what was it like today? There were two days off because of Christmas. Right. So I wasn't uh, in the locker McDermott. room today. So this is secondhand information, but essentially I was told by John Warrow of the Associated <laughs> Press. <laughs> See, you, you paint the picture for us. Who now. approached LaShawn McCoy about talking today, and apparently there was not even a, a response or acknowledgement on his part um, to talk. And then there was another reporter who tried to approach Jerry Hughes about a story um, and got a similar response. And I might add that Jerry Hughes was also pretty vocal um, against the media in uh, in the locker room on Sunday night after LaShawn McCoy's going around and, and, and saying, he said it to me as well, you know, wait until next year. You know, you guys will be, will be back, uh, you know, looking for your, um, you know, trying to <laughs> – Has know. the media been tough <laughs> I, on the Bills this year? I'm not even year? sure if I can yeah, I don't think that. So. I don't think they have. And I has think, the media? I think the media has been quite—I uh, don't want to say forgiving, but right. it's been, been some exceptions. Everybody's been well. Yeah, I think generally we're generally fair. Well, I but think, in, yeah. but I think it's because of the situation. Yeah. Josh Allen, the rookie quarterback, the fact that they made the playoffs last year—they're—they have house money. Uh, they didn't have to make the playoffs this year. There was no pressure on that. I don't think that. Hey, Bucky and Sully aren't even That's, allowed to be in the in the. On the premises anymore? Not? Right. Well, well, I mean, they don't have credentials. Oh. I mean, it's not as though they, you know, it's that not there's because a, of them. It's because they of, don't have their pictures at the security right, booth. They're right, former right. outlet at this point. The right. they but they're they not in there. Them. I mean, it, what I I think that this has been well, about think, as amiable as you could get. In turn, there right. hasn't been any confrontation. Well, there, I think there's some offensive players that aren't here anymore. Really, Kelvin Benjamin, Nathan Peterman, some general critique of the offensive line, the playmakers. That could be say they've been treated tough this season, but some of the guys that are complaining, I don't think have much of a complaint. And I think it's sometimes that it's it's individual situations. Like Jerry Hughes has been pretty vocal against us, even going back to the Jets game, uh, the the loss at home, where he was in the locker room right as we walked in, yelling, 
F the media, you know, Donald Trump was right. Fake news. Right. <laughs> what? And I don't know what that was about. And I still well, did. I think it was about what happened the week before. And that's my point is that something specific was that we were in the tunnel taking video of him yelling at the ref in Miami yeah, he the week was before. No, 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 no. When, he came, when we came in the locker room and he was yelling about the, to no one in particular about the media, that was before he went after the ref. No. Yes. That was the Jets game. It was before that because was it the Jags game. Yes. Okay. I could be wrong. It was before the. It, well, we'll go back and look because we have to hit a break here anyway. We'll talk some more about this. We. I want to get into Lashawn McCoy, whether the Bills should be done with him, as he is forty-eight yards rushing behind Josh Allen entering this regular season finale. I might as well just go ahead and say season finale. It's not as though there's some question as to whether or not they're going to make the playoffs. <laughs> uh, but Josh Allen, 48 yards more than LaShawn McCoy rushing and about to go up against a team that he rushed for 135 yards against the last time they played. And LaShawn McCoy, if he's going to make up those 48 yards on Josh Allen, just wanted to point out, nine times this year he has rushed for less than 48 yards in the game. So if Josh Allen gets zero, there's still a chance that LaShawn McCoy can't catch LaShawn McCoy has Josh averaged Allen. less than two yards a carry in five games this season. That's bad. Yeah. And for the season, 3.2 yards. Two touchdowns is all. And uh, those came in the same game, right? Yes, the yeah. first Jets game. So um, – is that the? Is that the game that he? No, no, no. That he rushed uh, the, for a hundred? Yes. Or was it's, it Chicago? I don't know. We're going to get to the one where he was really upset with the media. No, it was definitely. Before it was after the Jaguars the, the game. Official, it was after a win. It was yeah. It was it was the fight because there was the fight in the corner. That's yes. what I wanted to talk to him about. I approached oh, him right. in the locker. It was the Jaguars. And I said, game. "Look, uh, I know that you're upset about. You think we have an agenda, but I I want to ask you about the fight." Because I think it it was a turnaround in a positive way, and I'm talking to him off the record about this now, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, fine." Like it was like no, as though he hadn't said anything about the media. He could have been mad but, about television show predictions, or maybe not even mad, knows. but that could have been what that you're, was. Right, response Tim, to. you're right about Jerry Hughes. It was the Jaguars game I know. before the Dolphins game because <laughs> I, know. I know when they announced the locker room that the media was coming in, Jerry Hughes's assumption was that we were all going to be asking about the fight, the Leonard yeah. fournette Shaq Lawson fight. I was asking about the fight because I thought it was really well, fascinating. Well, you had to ask about the it fight. It was a turning point Everyone in the game. Everyone saw the fight. And it, like, yeah, and then there's a, a, a goal line stand, and then the Jaguars missed the field goal, and the Bills go on to win the game. Did you know, Lindsay D'Arcangelo, yes. that the Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation it's and personal injury name. attorneys? Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Sports writer Tim Graham. The Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. CBS Sports Radio. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270 the fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not misohonia. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show. We've been talking about LaShawn McCoy here in studio with my big crooked co-host, Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Lindsey D'Arcangelo of The Athletic is here with us in studio for the full two hours of the show. 
joining Bobby Rosati on the board and uh, Jonah Bronstein on the camera. And we were just talking before the break about LaShawn McCoy, and uh, everybody's a bit upset, or I wouldn't want to say everybody, but there's a mood. Guys are in a mood over there, over coverage, and I don't know if this is a situation where, uh, you remember C.J. Spiller used to talk about how nobody was ever giving him a fair shake and the media hated him and always doubted him, and he'd get up and say these at news conferences and we'd be in the, in the media room looking at each other like, what the hell is he talking about? Right. We're talking about how he should get the ball more. He's averaging six yards a carry, and Fred Jackson's getting all the touches. They, you know, why isn't Chan Gailey giving him the ball more? And then he'd stand up there and talk about how the media is after him, and it's like, come on, what? Sometimes I think these guys need a boogeyman, like right. to get them going. Like yeah. I need, I need somebody to be mad at, and maybe that's where the chip on the. They need the chip on the shoulder, and the media is an easy foil for that. It's kind of like the in the competitor's mindset where the loss hurts more than the win feels good, so they don't balance and say oh well i'm getting 90 percent positive coverage they want to focus in on that criticism because that's what drives them and it just it's motivation yeah and that's what they can't forget i don't think jerry hughes has gotten any overly negative coverage i don't think he needs motivation he just <laughs> it doesn't take much to to you know ruffle his feathers no he's a guy that i think has motivation all over the place mm. wherever he looks probably whatever he could has a song that probably triggers him and uh, so anyway, I've I've gotten along great with Jerry Hughes and I've never seen him other than he just goes on these rants and I don't know, really know where it comes from. Um, I don't think Sean McDermott is the type of coach, unlike Rex Ryan, who did this all the time. I don't think that Sean McDermott's the type of coach who says, look what they're saying about you. Like maybe he might on occasion, but I think Rex Ryan was big on that, on um, – Talk. In fact, Tyler Dunn, our, our pal from the Bleacher Report, when he was at the Buffalo News, wrote a story about Sammy Watkins saying that he needed, what, 10 targets a game or something like that. Uh, Tyler Dunn wrote about it, and Sammy Watkins got upset, or maybe he was embarrassed that he said something mm-hmm. on the record that he did. So Rex Ryan, so that way he would stand up for his big number one receiver, said, you know, you got these uh, hotshot reporters out there trying to make a name for themselves. You know, so they, Rex would say things like that. Well, you'd have but the, I don't think McDermott does that. The it's... day after uh, Ty wrote that story, you'd have Marcus Easley, who was in that corner of the locker room. We walked into the locker room for open period, and Marcus Easley was yelling at us, Sammy, point him out. Find him for me. We'll get him. <laughs> tell, him tell me who it was. That you said As that quote it was, right into a recorder. Oh, my God. It's all of our fault now. Well, hey, look, I, I get some of that. I just I'm mystified on this this team. Because it's not as though there was pressure on this team to go. And I can understand them being upset that they're not going to make the playoffs and that they're looking at a lopsided losing record. Uh, it's not even that lopsided, really. Mm. But these are guys, I know they're proud, but the guys who really need to make the playoffs, the guys who are towards the end of the line – uh, like Lorenzo Alexander and Kyle Williams, those are the guys who take it in stride. They're, it, it seems, I don't know. But anyway, LaShawn McCoy might be ending that. But let's stay, I want to stay on LaShawn McCoy. Well, I was just going to say, if you had a guy having a season like Shady's having or like what Kelvin Benjamin was having before well, he was cut. it's easy to shift blame, or maybe and, it's worth your while. But if you put those guys on a team, if, the, if they were on the Cowboys, the, you know, the Jets, the Giants, the Eagles, a, a major market team, that'd be Ten times the coverage than what they're getting right now. I mean, New England, like you have a, a somewhat deflated season, no pun intended, from Tom Brady, <laughs> and you know he's getting ripped apart right now. In I New wouldn't England. say he's getting ripped apart, but yes, 
he, there Buffalo, is some criticism. I, I think is a lot more forgiving to players in those sort of situations, but especially when you have uh, a shiny object to divert our attention. That shiny object being, being Josh, Josh Allen. Allen, right? And as long as Lashawn McCoy uh, has his 488 yards rushing with one game to go, and People really stopped talking about LaShawn McCoy a few games ago. They're, they're just like, all right, fine. Let's just see what Josh Allen's going to do on Sunday. And that's fine for the Bills fan. That's satisfying. It's fulfilling to them. They don't need a win or a loss. So uh, there's no, there's, it's not as though these guys are getting piled on. But, Lindsay, I wanted to ask you, where are you with LaShawn McCoy? You're a Bills fan. You follow these guys <laughs> on a week-to-week basis. I don't LaShawn like McCoy to is going to be 31 in July. What do you – what are your – your thoughts on him and his future with this team? I, I'm a discerning Bills fan. I don't let my my fandom get in the way of my right. You're yeah. My critique. you're cerebral Bills fan. Yeah, sure. absolutely. I think they should move on from him. I think the longer they hang on to uh, McCoy, the the less they'll get trade value wise. And you have you have uh, currently three other quarter uh, running backs on the roster who who I think actually hit the hole and, and go forward and get yards, and they're actually averaging more yards per carry than him, even though they have uh, less carries on the season. But Are you counting Patrick DeMarco in that list, Lindsay? No, I am With not. With his but... one carry for nine <laughs> yards? No, I'm, I'm looking more at, at Marcus Murphy and even Keith Ford. To me, in that game... Isaiah McKenzie, a wide receiver, has been well, a go. better and more effective runner than LaShawn McCoy in the has. Game last as week, have jo- as has Josh Allen. You could see that you could see the dis- the difference, and it was so obvious when they'd hand the ball off to McCoy, and then when they had the ball off to, to Ford. Ford hit the hole. He's a he's obviously a bigger runner. He's he's you know just goes straight ahead. And McCoy does this thing where he, for some strange reason, we've talked about this on the sh- on the show before, whether he's just overthinking it, but he's just He's just not. He's just not getting to the hole fast enough. Or he's, he's not trying satis- to go to the outside. He's not satisfied with a five-yard run. No, he wants he's not. the ability to take it fifteen to twenty on every touch. And so, as soon as he gets the ball, he's looking to make three extra cuts uh, that get him the home run play, rather than just hitting the line drive uh, and getting getting back to the line of scrimmage plus. And I saw him during that game too. Get visibly, he was getting visibly frustrated with some of the, some of the offensive line. Uh, which is understandable, but at the same time, how can, how come Ford is able to run behind his blocks and get yards? It's a style of run, and he's 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 willing to take that four yard run, and uh, it's which like Chris be Ivory. The goal, sure, you know, you were, you watch the Patriots. What did they do? They just kept pounding it, pounding it, five runs, five five yards here. Made they, and then eventually they would break. They would break that fifteen twenty yard. Two hundred and seventy five yards rushing in that game. I mean, it's is it overcompensation almost? Like he's, tr- I know that's kind of what we're alluding to, but is that what he's doing? He wants to have that big run, so he's not taking the short yardage, or the, or the easy hole. I think that's part tr- of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think there's too a mentality, and I always bring in this analogy of the boxer who uh, I think that he know, he'll get his shots, or he's used to always getting his shots, 25, 30 carries, or whatever it's going to be a game. Maybe not 30. That's like late seventies, early eighties football there, but. You know, he's going to get his his touches, and I can I can, like Barry Sanders almost. I can get a minus one and a minus two and a you know, and I can look for the and I'll right. eventually hit that home matter. run. Right. But when he's getting, you know, uh, the last few games he had uh, at New England, he had six carries. But I against the think... Jets, he had two carries. He his most was twenty six, and that's when he rushed and for one hundred and thirteen yards because he got hurt in the Jets game. But I, I don't think like early in the year there was a lot of talk. 
people were asking Sean McDermott and Brian Dable, why aren't you giving you know Shady the ball more? And McDermott made it the point, we need to get LaShawn McCoy the ball more. I think the worst thing for this offense would be to give LaShawn McCoy the ball 20 times because he's not doing anything with it. The percentage of times that he's run for 10 or more yards has declined 14.5% in 2016 it was. Uh, last year, 11.5%. This year, 7.6% of his runs are 10 yards or more. So that's been cut in half over the last three seasons. And this is where Brandon Bean's going to earn his money and the other scouts because they have to determine how much of that is being 30, about to turn 31 years old, versus not having Eric Wood and Richie Incognito uh, on your offensive line like they did last year. Right. And that's, look, a football guy told me a couple years ago that LaShawn McCoy will decline – quicker than most because once he loses his quickness, he doesn't have other skills Mm -hmm. to allow him to keep being effective. Like Adrian Peterson, you were watching that game Saturday night against the Titans, was still fairly effective because he's able to just put his head forward and run the ball and get a few extra yards. Sean McCoy is incapable of doing that. In the last three years, he's one of the worst running backs in yards after carry in the NFL. Yards after contact. Yards after after contact per carry. It doesn't have the ability to break tackles physically by running over somebody or running through somebody. He makes people miss, and if you're not making people miss anymore, then that's that's a, a big problem. Now, the question for the Bills is, look, Sean McDermott came out again today and was pretty vocal about how he, he feels like LeSean McCoy's in their plans and he, he knows he needs to have a better season next year. You do have to wonder how much that is truly – deep down the belief of this coaching staff, in which case I would question their judgment, or B, are they playing this card the same way they played it with Tyrod Taylor last year, or Tyrod Taylor, where... <laughs> I forgot. I almost forgot, forgot about, about that. I know. We haven't talked about Tyrod in such a long time. But at the Combine, you might remember Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott last year in February were essentially saying, you know, why, do we, why would we get rid of him? He's still in our plans. Didn't McDermott say the same thing about Benjamin before... He got traded? He might have. I, I don't remember the – yeah, tra- uh, cut. I don't cut. remember the exact Sorry, you're words. Right. I just remember right. the – It's all blur. The Tyrod no, Taylor. But that he wanted him to be here next year. How about that? How about that game, Kansas City? And Dude, he that sucks. That was Saturday, right? He, oh. he needs to be It was – I jumped out of my chair mm-hmm. four, six times on catches. Now, I – this is where I like the old – high school football warrior, but I was a receiver. That was my position. I, lo- I loved catching the ball. I was pretty good at it. And I'm not saying I was great, but, I mean, it was my thing. I loved, like, tough catches and hands and all that stuff. And I loved that more than any other part of football is watching a, a great reception. And I was jumping out of my chair four, five, six times on that game. The receiving was tremendous, and everybody's obviously talking about Mahomes mm-hmm. and uh, – Tyreek Hill and, uh, and Kelsey. And- yeah. Right. No, but the uh, the uh, talking the, Seahawks. The other, yeah, Russell, Russell Wilson, Wilson yeah. had some awesome throws. Oh, yeah, and he's throwing Doug Baldwin. He's throwing these pretty arcing, you know, like where and uh, you know they were talking about it on the broadcast about how the ball turns over and it makes it such an easy ball to catch uh, because the arc and the way it drops right into the receiver. And I think it was Baldwin on a catch down the sideline, but it was just great. Uh, Lockett had great catches, and poor Kelvin Benjamin had one in the end zone. <laughs> Right, and it looked the, the announcers were talking about what great defense it was, and then they showed a replay. No. It was not great defense. The ball hit him right in the sternum, yep. and bounced right off. I saw that poor guy. No, there's no poor guy. <laughs> not not with him. I'm not even a Bills fan, and I, I can't even stand him. Oh, Kelvin but Benjamin. But here's 
just to go back to LaShawn McCoy for a second, one of the things that he mentioned was after that Patriots game, the Monday night game, where he was close to tears about how ineffective he was, was I think I asked him the question, in fact, you know, how much do you still think you have it at this point in your career? And he said, well, you know, I, I definitely still have it. Defenses still are making me the focus of their game plan. Really? LaShawn McCoy's his percentage of carries against eight-man boxes or more than eight-man boxes this year has actually gone down. And it's gone down a decent amount. All right, um, while you're trying to find this stat, I don't right. want to get it bogged down too much with uh, data or right. the but analytics I, part I, of it yet. But I want The point to... being, he's he's not it's not as if there's eight guys in a box every play. Like right. but defenses we can't... Are, are are game planning for Josh Allen, not LaShawn McCoy. That's right. Now we can't talk about LaShawn McCoy's future with the Bills and not address where he is in his off the field issues makes it sounds too trivial. Mm-hmm. But he's involved in a very serious uh, allegations by his ex-girlfriend or his ex-fiance or however uh, the uh, I, th- I think it's that's category. I think it's both I yeah think there one is an ex-girlfriend one, and then yeah. there's an ex-fiance where are, where are we from a football standpoint because there uh, first off there's a legal standpoint and we yes. don't know what has happened yet we've only gotten the reports and the various charges that are laid out in the court documents mm. but from uh, I, I see it uh, the bills have a decision to make on two counts uh, one on a character situation uh, and also from a, a football standpoint in that he may not be available for all 16 games next year. Now, mm. I do get the feeling, and I've had this feeling since training camp when the Bills were communicating that they were comfortable with where LaShawn McCoy was in this case uh, because, as though they had discussed it with the NFL and the NFL had given them some indication that we're not going to we're not going to suspend LaShawn McCoy at least not this year. Now, as more and more charges come out and this investigation is still ongoing and there's a civil case involved. Uh, and Mike, I know you you've been staying more on top of it uh, than most is you know, where are they or where will the Bills fall when it comes to having him on the on the roster for 16 games and how you deal with the public relations I, aspect of it if this thing continues to get worse or where they should be even now based on what we what we believe now because let's face it this isn't just whether or not a judge or a jury has has decided one way or the other there is very much a court of public opinion that is involved with every right. NFL decision well there's a lot to it but the police investigation that last check was ongoing, and that was, at this point, three months ago. And then the NFL has said they won't even begin their investigation until the police investigation is over, as to impede. So the NFL has not spoken to anybody involved in what was alleged against him. Um, now, the, there's also the civil suit, which is, is ongoing, and that was filed in August. LaShawn McCoy filed a motion to dismiss that. And that motion to dismiss was denied by a judge about mm. two weeks ago, which means that lawsuit will proceed. And in fact, in response to the motion to dismiss, LaShawn McCoy, who had already hired Garland, Samuel, and Loeb in Atlanta, a, a very well-known um, defense firm down there that defended Ray Lewis against murder charges successfully, defended Ben Roethlisberger against rape charges successfully, that was already representing him well they added another firm dennis Corey, smith and dixon last week so now he has essentially seven attorneys working for him in this case 
Um, if we're counting partners, for counting I mean, who, partners, who knows how many? That sounds like how a, many entry level. It uh, sounds like the Patriots working for right. receiving car from 09 or <laughs> <Right>. something. <laughs> but I and mean, they won a Super Bowl. Yeah, I can't even imagine you know the cost of of some of this legal work. Um, and essentially, the next step is discovery and having discovery. Well, in their most recent filing, the attorneys for his ex girlfriend who who is suing him said that LaShawn McCoy is not cooperating in any of the discovery process. So McCoy has given no information to the uh, attorneys for his ex-girlfriend for the civil suit, and also the police said that there's no cooperation from McCoy's side as well. So it seems as if their strategy is just to don't do anything and hope that it goes away, um, which can sometimes be a valid legal strategy, make make somebody else prove it. Um, but obviously, in the court of public opinion, the fact that there's zero cooperation on his part it is strange. Look good. Because as as his ex girlfriend's attorney argues, if this was his house and somebody unknown broke into the house and stole something or, or beat somebody up inside of the house, wouldn't Lashawn McCoy want to bring that person to justice? It does. I don't understand though. Discovery. If you're accused of a crime, discovery is so you can know what evidence the state or, I guess, in a civil case, your accuser has against you. So I don't know why LaShawn McCoy would be, the burden would be on on him to volunteer evidence to the other side here. Well, that's how the civil process would work, is that the, the, the person suing you would have a chance to ask you questions before the actual So he's not proceedings. responding to a, a no. request for a, what do you call that? Uh, discovery. Deposition? Deposition, Deposition right. yes. Um, so again, it is the court of public opinion talking about this right now. No, nobody's really talking about it, but there's always a chance that there is some sort of development that will bring it more into light. I mean, when his, the mother of his child, which is a separate woman from this ex-girlfriend added her affidavit supporting the claim that he abused his son. I mean, that, that got some attention, but it seems as if Bill's fans won't React it's to not this, just Bills fans, or it's just NFL fans. fans won't react to it until there's some yeah. hard charge against them, which and in you know a what, civil case may take years. You know what makes it easier for fans to react is when you don't produce. Yeah. And you're not worth yeah. having on the fan. <laughs> Bills, and you're not worth Bills drafting in your are, fantasy league. are more upset about that, uh, about what he's not doing on the field rather than what he has done off the field. Yeah, I'm not saying that that's just. In fact, it's the opposite of, of justified. This is the it's, nature it's, of That's just the, the NFL, sad reality of, of what it is. We've seen it happen it's time and time again. twice this season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how the Kareem Hunt situation or all the various other cases that unfold they they all play off of each other because that's based on precedent it's based on how the nfl handles one case uh, colors how it handles the next case and uh, i think that what is going on out there with other other players uh, could come back and impact how the nfl handles LaShawn mccoy in this well you asked a question before we when we at the beginning when we all started discussing this you know what what does mcdermott do right how can he continue to create this culture that he's trying to foster, you know, respectability, accountability, all that good stuff, if he's got his captain, McCoy, with these off-field issues, uh, and lately the way he's handled the media? Mm-hmm. How does that look? 
you can't you can't maintain that this is what you want this is what you're trying to create with the process and then have this side this side avenue right here going on i mean it, they don't match well here's the strange part to me is that it, it definitely seems like there's a leniency or, or a willingness to defend LaShawn McCoy by Sean McDermott, by Brendan Bean, by the Bills in general, which is generally done for a player who's producing for you. He's not producing. Even if he does turn it around next year and produces at a higher level, I don't think anybody's expecting him to be quite the same player he was a few years ago. uh, When on the same day, the Bills cut Carlos Williams and and Mm -hmm. sent Marcel Darius to rehab. Right. One is family and one wasn't. <laughs> yeah, one was because he was overweight. We're cutting the guy who's overweight, but the guy who has the weed problem, we're going to send so him to. Best case scenario rehab. is that he has a better season next year, but then you're talking about, okay, that's the final year of his deal. He'll be 32 the following offseason. What are you going to do, Resign a 32-year-old running back? I mean, cut ties now, get younger at the position. If you're, if you're all about building for the future, then I just don't understand the loyalty to a 30-year-old player whose numbers are indisputably on the decline the last three years. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about the local hoop scene. Uh, UB is at Canisius on Saturday night. That's a big uh, matchup uh, right before uh, UB heads into the conference schedule in the American Conference. Uh, UB women, uh, we have some rankings talk, of course, going back to the UB men. Uh, Jonah Bronstein's in here to talk about that with Lindsey D'Arcangelo. Uh, Mike Rodak uh, finally will probably uh, back away from the microphone. <laughs> so if you were listening for that moment, the next segment's for you uh, because uh, Mike just he can't bring it like Lindsay and Jonah can. Bring it. You be there. On the Tim Graham Show, which is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Crooked Rodak. This is the Tim Graham Show. Other than it's a silly, I'm doing the wanking motion right here. It's a silly, it's a waste of time. Unacceptable! The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show. That clip, of course, is from Adventure Time. You know what I was uh, I was up late last night working on a story uh, for the Athletic, a story on Dave Wheat, the chief administrative officer for the Bills. Who uh, it was interesting to me. The guy actually like, picks up sweaty jock straps for the road games. He gets in there and gets his hands dirty, and he's one of the most important guys in the Bills. And he was super. He runs the command center for the home games with all you know the sheriff's department and EMS and fire and homeland security and all this stuff and. Helping to, or, you know, making sure there isn't a terrorist attack at New wow. Era Field, and the guy just—he's like a regular grunt for the road games. Yeah. And I was, anyway, the premise of the story. Or at least I got into the story by showing a, a photo of him around the Bills locker room to see who knew who he really was. Yeah. And they had no, very few. Who? No, Stephen Hauschkin knew. Kyle oh, Williams. Kyle Williams wasn't there. I think if I would have asked Kyle Williams, Kyle Williams would have known. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, you could tell. a lot of the guys were like. One one guy, a captain. I told him, I said I wouldn't name names because I wanted them to be honest with me. Yeah. But one of the captains of the team looked at it and said, "Oh, I know him. That's Kevin. His name's Dave Wheat." So anyway, <laughs> check that story out on the Athletic. But anyway, I was uh, I was up late last night finishing that story and I had the Family Guy on. And after the Family Guy comes Rick and Morty. Oh, now. God. 
Rick and Morty, I've watched it a couple of times because I'm a huge Family Guy fan. And so it comes on, and I see the commercials, and I've caught the show once or twice. I don't get it. And I'm a pretty liberal-minded guy when it comes to shows, like newer comedy. For instance, when I sit and watch Saturday Night Live with my mom, she is like, she just sits there. I don't know what they're talking about (laughs) with all these different references. I'm pretty open-minded. But Rick and Morty, do you have to be stoned? Do you have to be stoned to watch it? Well, you don't have to be, or you just got to be a little out of your mind. I don't get it. Isn't that the same thing? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Just, you got to get there a different way. Can't, I just can't figure it out. You've never seen Adventure Times like that. That's good. Right. You ever see Tim and Eric? That's what made me think of it was the Adventure Time bump there. Yeah. Tim and Tim Eric. And Eric I've seen, Tim and Eric. Is, epi- there's something about Tim great. and Eric that I kind of, I find amusing because it's live action, you know, <laughs> yeah. so it's not the, the cartoon aspect. It's that not, stuff is it's hilarious. absurd, but when people are doing it, you it's can tell different being, than when cartoons are doing it. Ever watch Uncle Grandpa? My my kids used to. That's my, awesome. My kids used to watch it. That's well, see, actually that's, funny. Well, that's the thing where, like, with Uncle Grandpa, <laughs> it's a it's a cartoon that's so absurd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gumball, the the Amazing World yeah. of Gumballs, another one, uh-huh. so absurd. But it's for kids, and I get the absurdity. But Rick and Morty is that level of absurdity, but it's for adults yeah. because of. The things that they do in there, the the right. vernacular, the, right. the the references, you know, they're whereas Uncle Grandpa they adult. hide it more. Yeah, Uncle yeah. Grandpa is just wacky, just stupid stuff. Yeah, I have no idea what you guys are. Yeah, talking I'm, about. I'm, I'm your Uncle are, Grandpa. What, how old's your daughter, uh, Lindsay? She's six. Show her uh, some of these. She'll love them. She's getting in there. No, Uncle Grandpa. <laughs> she's a Disney Channel kind of girl. Oh yeah? yeah, you usually don't stray once you get Disney. So was my daughter. Well, oh never. Mind. Then it was Gumball and speaking amazing of stoners, I want to know. What do you got in that pipe over there, Bobby? It's pretty Dude. colorful. <laughs> that thing is huge. First, there's so many bad implications in that, and this is uh, my um, prickly berry. Okay. And um, uh, peach lemonade. Pe- yeah, obviously peach lemonade and watermelon. Kind of looks like a dildo. Green machine. Oh it's goodness. not. Like, how would you know? I promise. <laughs> I promise it's not. <laughs> You gonna answer my question to you, Mike? This How would you know? I've seen him thrown on, on football fields in I this see. town. Oh yeah, it's the only time I've ever seen him. <laughs> I know. We didn't get to see one this past weekend, though. Your thoughts on the local college hoop scene, Jonah? With UB <laughs> falling from fourteen to what twenty-one? Yes, 21. twenty-one in the AP. That was quite a transition. Yes, perfect. On UB, you know, I think it's <laughs> the good whole that- thing, <laughs> the whole Big Four scene. You'd be about to play Canisius. They should win easily, right? Well, I don't know. I think Rivalry would, game. I think that's going to be an interesting game. I think if UB had beaten Marquette, I might go so far to expect, not expect a Canisius win, but I'd be looking out for Canisius winding this game more, playing harder. And here's the thing. UB has never played, well, the, the current players and the current coaching staff have never been to the Kessler Center. They've played Canisius downtown. They've played at UB a couple times just with the quirks in the schedule they haven't been to this gym before one of the smallest gyms in division one basketball and it can be an interesting experience trying to make shots in a gym you've never been to before and it's going to be a sold out building in a small gym and because of this happened two years ago downtown because of Reggie Witherspoon being the former Buffalo coach his players especially some guys to call Molson who are from Buffalo they know what a game like this means to them, and they might have an emotional edge and play a little bit harder. But Kanishas have really been struggling. They don't have much inside. They're rebounding. Their interior defense, just overall size is an issue for them. And UB has big guys as 
as well as length and strength and, and can dominate them physically on the perimeter, that matchup on paper, it shouldn't be a close matchup. Now, Reggie Witherspoon has been critical of his team at home in the past. Now, that's a bit of psyops from him, in which, but he's, he's kind of... I think it was last year, I don't know if it was the year before, where they were shooting the ball much better on the road than at home. And yes, he's criticized them. I think that's a little bit of calling him out, like, hey guys, you know, what's going on? We're noticing. But yeah, Reggie Witherspoon has never been one to not or to to subdue his criticism of his players after they lose. Not specific individuals, but the team, what the team isn't doing well. And they haven't been playing well. And from I haven't actually talked to Reggie really since the season started, but from what I understand, he's been pretty hard on them in practice and, and they could turn the season around in league play, but the concern is that maybe this early stretch has been too tough on them and it could their confidence could be at a low that won't play out well for them as they get into MAC play. And the MAC's been terrible. Niagara's six and five is the only MAC team with a winning record right now. That Some teams have amazing. played really tough schedules, but nobody's really the whole league is down. Monmouth hasn't won a game, one of I think three or four winless teams in the country. The longest curring cur- <clears throat> The longest current winning streak in the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference is one game. Oh, Niagara has won one in a row. Fairfield has won one in a row. Nobody else is coming off of a win. And I don't think Niagara's that great, even though they have a six and five record. Somebody's got to lose these games. I mean, if they're all playing, you probably just said this, but if they're all playing against better teams at this time of year, remember when some of them are better teams. Monmouth was really good for a couple of years. Made now, the their, tournament. Their best player left early. Most annoying team in the country. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like that. Good King Rice, uh, who I think is a good coach, seemed like a good coach for most of his time at Monmouth coming into this season. They lost their best player, and they weren't expecting that. But going from that to not being able to win a game is a pretty big drop. Monmouth is 0-12. Manhattan has lost seven in a row. St. Peter's lost four in a row. Iona's lost six in a row. And again, just to reiterate, only two teams in the conference coming off a win, and their win streaks are exactly one game. Niagara at six and five, and uh, Fairfield at three and nine. So that's that's ugly. Yeah. Where? What? Even... How do you handicap that conference based on? Is it? Are we still at this? Do we know just as much about this conference as we did in the preseason? As they head into, obviously, whoever hand, it handles conference play. No, I don't think you can look too much at the non-conference performance and say this team will be better than that team in the conference play. It's a, you can look at how they're playing, if there's been injuries or certain transfers that you thought might be contributors that aren't contributors. But, you know, Ryder is the favorite in that conference, whether they've – I think they're four and six or something like that. That's not going to change really based on how they performed because a lot of these are really tough road games at tournaments but a lot of these they don't play 12 games like that so team Canisius has lost to teams that I thought they should have beaten you know they had a lead at Holy Cross I think it was about nine points in the second half they gave that up but are we what about UB women I want to make sure that we get them in and I don't want to just do it as a throwaway here before we head to a break I'd like to talk about them for a little bit uh with Sierra Dillard uh, lead is, is she she's still second. She's now second, second now. in the in the NCAA. She's got twenty five point uh, three three uh, points per game. Yeah, for a little bit there, just a couple of weeks ago, she was leading the nation in scoring, I mean, and she's still, still at a, good. well, and she's got a chance to reclaim it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Mid American Conference is not uh, the, you know powerhouse conference, so she should be able to maintain her scoring clip heading into conference play. However, uh, Summer Hemphill's coming back. 
and she's going to be on the court for Mid-American Conference play, and she is going to take away a lot of those touches from Sierra Dillard because she is such a dynamic player, and she's tall and she's fast. And so now, finally, and that's good for you, B. I think Sierra's still going to get her get her shots. I think she's still going to she's going to maintain that. That that you think she so? might not you end up she'll... second or first, uh, you know, but she'll be in the top ten, I think. And okay. she's the main scorer on their team. She's... Might might be good for them if she shot the ball a little less. She's shooting well I from the three point that. line. Her overall percentage, I don't mean in front of me, but last I looked wasn't very high. It was in the low forties. She's a great player. She's a great scorer, but she's a better passer, I think, than a scorer. And it's nice that she's really? leading the country. Yeah, I think I so. I don't agree with that at all. I, oh, absolutely. At least that's her natural no game way. coming up. Don't she may, look at me. I'm she, not gonna. I'm not gonna be the <laughs> deciding vote in this. She Very may well. have Rodak, gotten, What do you think, Sarah Dillard? Absolutely. I mean, it just have at it. Just her shooting percentages. I mean, she's doing a great job well, her, of getting buckets and carrying this team offensively. But I don't think that her shooting percentages and, and just the history of her career reflect. That she's a pure. What I don't. I don't mean that she can't score. I, I just mean that she is more of a playmaker, I think, than a natural scorer. At least that's been her game, and I still think that's the DNA of her game. I think she's an incredible passer. I think she makes people around her better. Do I? Do I agree with you that she's taken too many shots and, and too many contested shots, and, and just sometimes she just dribbles up at the three-point line and fires it up when you're early in the shot clock and you can work the ball around. Yeah, I agree with you totally. I. Like you said, I feel like she's a she's a natural scorer. She's so good at creating her own shot. Uh, I think she needs to be smarter with the ball. And uh, I don't know. I I think for me, I feel like she's the best option offensively. Summer Hemphill under three games back, averaging fifteen point seven points a game. So that's a relief to be able to have a scorer of that caliber to be able to come back just as you're about to begin conference play. So I think that UB women's basketball, they make that run into the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament last year, and they've been outside of the rankings. And uh, with Summer Hemphill, maybe they make a little bit more noise in preseason. I don't know, but they'd be a better team. I don't think that they beat Oregon at Oregon. Mm. Um, no. They probably don't beat Stanford. She, she, play Stan- she played in the Stanford yeah. game. Yeah, she played in the Stanford game. She played well. I actually yeah. think early on she was their best player. She made a lot of big rebounds and defensive plays. Oh, 9.3 rebounds for her uh, in her three games back. So uh, almost a double-double since she's returned now it's early and she's gonna gonna take her a little bit of time but they only lost that's a, to that's a formidable player right there they only lost to stanford by seven points granted stanford had an off game and they were missing they 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 played they played down to their competition i think in that game but ub gave them a run and uh, there were chances where they could have taken the lead and and uh, sierra had one of those games where she found her stride for a little bit and then the last three three four minutes she was just off and you- UB played harder than Stanford, especially through the first three quarters. Stanford really kicked it in in the fourth, and it was, I would say, not a very well-played game, at least on the offensive end, for three quarters. Stanford picked it up in the fourth. UB actually made a charge to keep with them. And and Sierra had a couple really nice passes that either her teammates dropped or couldn't get a good shot off, or there was one where there was a travel. But I, I think it was, I don't remember the exact point in the game, but it was about halfway through the third quarter or something before a player other than Summer Hemphill or Sierra Dillard scored a field goal. Hannah Hall Hannah started Hall making a couple up. threes. And that's their issue. As, as excellent as Sierra Dillard is, as good as Summer Hemphill comes in, bringing that back to the team, offensively, I don't know who their third scorer really is. I don't know if they have players that can create their own shot and do 
much to be kind of an equal opportunity offense. They really need Sierra Dillard either scoring 25-30 a game or setting other people up. Summer Hemphill can do a little bit of that, but she's not really a take-it-off-the-bounce-from-the-perimeter player anyways. They're very reliant on Sierra Dillard to be both the point guard and the shooting guard. And I don't know if that's – I still think they're very good. They're, they're a top-two team in the MAC. could be an at-large bid team in the NCAA tournament. But compared to last year's team, I think they're a little bit lacking. How about this stat? Real quick, right before we go to the break. Uh, UB, through 11 games, 15 block shots. That is a paltry number through through 11 games, just 15 block shots. Summer Hemphill in three games has five of them. Well, they don't have a lot of height. Already otherwise. leads the team in blocks uh, in her three games back, and she has a third of the team's blocks uh, block shots. That's a strength of her. She's got long arms. She's quick off her feet. Yeah, I think that's uh, – UB has played very good defense. Felicia Leggett-Jack's a defensive-minded coach. They play excellent team defense. But, yeah, they probably are lacking – uh, somebody who can patrol the paint and block shots a little bit, and see. And Summer Hemphill can do that. She plays the forward spot, which takes her a little bit away from the basket. But, yeah, I, I think she's probably their best defensive player. All right, when we come back, we're going to have on the line from Vegas our good friend Joel Staniszewski to break it down from a betting standpoint, uh, the Bills' season finale and uh, Week 17 in the NFL. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys, Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. The Tim Graham Show is right here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Ah, Tim's discounted prices shot out of the ground. Buy premium prices. to call in with your favorite Derek Roy story. <laughs> 270-1270. And on the Fan's app. Free to download in the App Store. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270. The fan, the Buffalo Bills, will wrap up their schedule on Sunday at home against the Miami Dolphins. And to help us sprint through the finish line, here he is. From Buffalo to Las Vegas, Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. (laughs) But I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the the, the city as a whole. It's more like a royal flush. Bobby Rosati, you've outdone yourself. What do you think of that? What do you think of that, Joel? What did I? What did I? I might. I think my phone cut out for a second. What did I miss? Oh, Bobby <laughs> gave you a whole new intro, or it's a. I should uh, say it's new and improved. Yeah, it still has a, the old classic elements, but yeah. uh, it's got some flair. New, it's got stuff in there. Oh man. Right. I'll, have to go listen. I'll have to go on the app and listen to the podcast after. We'll do anything we can for one extra download. We're gonna, <laughs> even though you're on the show, we're going to make you download it again. <laughs> Joel right, Stanishevsky from Sloan has been out in Las Vegas as a handicapper, odds maker, and gambling analyst. And uh, he joins us every week to talk about uh, the Bills from a betting standpoint. And this is the last game. Now, I have a feeling that we can convince Joel to come back on, maybe to break down the playoffs for us. Oh, I'd uh, love to. So, Joel, your thoughts on this game? And Mike Rodak and I were talking about it. It's kind of uh, interesting. When you look at these meaningless 
so-called meaningless games, usually you have a coach who's on his way out, uh, guys who are either going to mail it in or play for the coach. Here you have two non-playoff teams with nothing to play for, and the coaches are probably going to be back next year, and I'm saying probably for Adam Gase and the uh, report coming out today with the Dolphins about to fire their uh, top football administrator, Mike Tannenbaum. The report is is that general manager Chris Greer and uh, head coach Adam Gase will be back next year. So you're not going to be resting anybody. These teams aren't looking at a first-round playoff buy or anything like that. So this is kind of like an honest game, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, you can't really compare end of a season of NFL with any other sport because there's so few games played. And, you know, taking it easy or a player mailing it in or a coach mailing it in week 17 when they're not guaranteed a playoff berth, is this doesn't happen because your job is still on the line. These players' jobs are still on the line. All these new players that you're going to try to, you know, put into the game, these younger kids, they're playing for their future contracts. So there's no, you know, mailing it in like there is in, like you've seen in baseball and in basketball where you just play the end of the bench guys. Like these guys are playing and they're playing not only for their team and for their coach, but for their future contracts and their continued employment. Just a few weeks ago, we were wondering if the Buffalo Bills would ever be a favor, uh, a favorite uh, during this season. And now I think this is the third time they're favored. Uh, yeah, that's right. So, I think they've all been three points, too, haven't they? Or maybe Detroit was a little less. I they've do- all been right at the three-point mark. So. Right. And so Buffalo opens as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. It's been bet uh, to a three points. Well, I'm just seeing that in one place. It's pretty much stayed at about three-and-a-half. Um, and a total of 38, which has now grown a point-and-a-half to 39-and-a-half, uh, 40 points in some places. Uh, your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, this matchup, I think, definitely uh, is, I mean, I'm obviously going to watch the Bills game, so I'm going to watch it regardless of who's playing and how important or unimportant it is. Um, it, it, it's, we've seen uh, some flashes of brilliance uh, from Josh Allen, and that gives you hope for the future, but as a whole, he hasn't really been playing that great the last couple of weeks. Uh, in the last three weeks, he's got just two touchdowns, four interceptions, completed less than 50% of his passes. So you really want to see him, you know, kind of step up his game. Obviously, we can, you know, talk about drops and and his his weapons that he doesn't have on the field. But the fact remains is, you know, hit, what people knocked him for out of college was his accuracy and his completion percentage, which is what we've seen drop the last couple of weeks. That, that's so funny. we want to see him. That? I was just going to say that's funny because everybody on Twitter tells me that Josh Allen is perfect and everything he does wrong is the fault of his offensive line or his receivers. So I'm, I'm just I'm glad that somebody else agrees that maybe Josh Allen is actually fallible. It's amazing. You think you know who you know? Well, he's the future. So and you're and you're Mike Rodak. So exactly. we all know well, you know we it. all know that you're wrong. Touche. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's yes. You want you want the good weapons. You want the the good offensive line. But you know, I'm not trying to say Josh Allen is is going to be a future Hall of Famer. But you've seen Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and players like that have receivers that are nobodies, and they still are completing passes and still getting four or five thousand yards passing every year. You know, we're just going to be happy with somebody cracking thirty five hundreds in pat in passing yards. Uh, so you want to see him him continue to mature, give us some hope for next year. 
And, uh, you know, at the same time, if we lose, it obviously helps our draft pick, which we obviously, you know, want. Um, but you want to see the team win. You want to see them build some momentum into next year, into the offseason. You want to see players try their best so that these free agents, we know we have a ton of money and cap space coming up, and a free agent that's going to choose to sign here wants to see a team that actually has the opportunity to win some games and get into the playoffs and, and make it a worthwhile uh, job to take. So you, you want to see the Bills still doing well. You want to see them win and cover. The the Dolphins have been on a downward spiral as the season has gone on. So I think this is a great opportunity for the Bills offense and for these younger players to really step up their game and get us a big win. Where do you fall on the spread at three and a half? I think the number is, is, is spot on. Um, I would like it a lot more if you could get it at two and a half and I mean, uh, there's a three in town, but you're laying an extra 15 cents in juice. Um, honestly, I, 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 <clears throat> games that you think don't necessarily have meaning, those are the games you like to watch and, and, and I like to watch and bet in running because you're seeing what's going on. You can assume or hope to assume how these younger players are doing. A lot of times in running wagering the lines that they put up and the people who bet it traditionally are betting what is currently happening. You know, the bills are up by 15. Okay. Now I'm going to bet a minus 20 when you know that there's going to be a swing back the other way in most kids, most cases. So the trick to that is, is bet what you think might happen, not what's currently happening. So if you see, uh, you know, the bills had a missed, had a drop touchdown, had a, you know, fumbled kickoff, that type of stuff you got to assume that they're going to clean that up in the second half. So you're watching lines, in-running lines, you're watching halftime lines and games like that, and not just the Bills. In general, you're seeing um, things happening in games that once they clean that up, how will this team perform? And and that's what you're trying to, to bet on in, in, in games like this. One game I wanted to ask you about, Joel, is Cincinnati at Pittsburgh, and Andy Dalton is out for the Bengals. Uh, but that game opened with Pittsburgh as a 17-point favorite. It's now down to 14-and-a-half. That's just uh, – Pittsburgh has a lot to play for. The playoffs are on the line. Um, but that big of a of a spread, uh, how do you uh, how do you analyze that number and, and how the uh, – and I guess how the money's come in. A lot of people like Cincinnati with, with that fat of a spread. Yeah, it's, it was really high. 17, I think, was too high. Uh, I think where it's at now, two touchdowns is a lot more favorable. Um, and you're talking about Pittsburgh needs to win, but Cincinnati would love to be a spoiler, just like they were last year for Baltimore. Um, being a spoiler, especially in your division, is a great thing to do. Um, so they're going to try their best. Pittsburgh, yes, they want to win really badly. Of course they do. But all they need to do is win. They don't need to cover a spread. They don't. They just need to get the win. So they're up by ten, and the end of the game is running out. You're going to get a backdoor touchdown from from Cincinnati because the Pittsburgh Steelers don't care at that point in time. Um, there was a game that I liked last week that was Cincinnati against Cleveland. They were an eight and a half point dog, and they scored late to lose by eight. Like so, these, these high spreads you're going to get. You have the opportunity to get caught at the end of a game and and have these defenses ease up because they've already won the game and you're going to get a backdoor cover from these big underdogs. The Jeff Driscoll backdoor cover. Look out. <laughs> Joel, thanks for joining us again and uh, 
I'm grateful that you've been with us here the entire season, giving us your thoughts on uh, your beloved Bills. I'm sorry that we're not going to take them into the playoffs like we did uh, last year, but uh, you know, we'll still find a, enough uh, enough action, I think, to discuss uh, for at least oh, the next few sure. weeks. For sure. There's always next year, right? That's Well, <laughs> that's what they tell me. We've been saying that since forever. Right. Well, I don't know. With everything going on in the world today, I don't think we're guaranteed anything, but... This could right. be the last game the Bills have ever play. We don't know. Joel, thanks for being Enjoy. on, and uh, we'll catch you next week. All right, take care, guys. All right, my thanks to the Athletics' John Vogel for joining us earlier to talk about the Sabres. Of course, to Lindsey D'Arcangelo for being in studio with us for the full two hours. Hopefully you can join us again very soon, like maybe in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that would what be do we awesome. Think? Okay. And, of course, uh, for my big crooked co-host, Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, for Jonah Bronstein of Jonah Bronstein Enterprises, for Bobby Rosati of Cumulus Radio, uh, thanks for listening to the Tim Graham Show. Uh, we will have uh, New Year's will have happened by the time oh, yeah. uh, we come back. So have a great start to your 2019. Kick its ass, and we'll see you next week here on the Tim Graham Show. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, live sports talk 24-7.